Good afternoon, Acadiana. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPEL. And congratulations, everybody. COVID panic is back. I'm not sure if you guys have been paying attention to some of the headlines that we've seen, but there is full-blown COVID-19 panic as the numbers spike in 12 countries around the world. So particularly in Europe and China, we are seeing some numbers go up. We, we started seeing this in China after the Olympics. Uh, the Winter Olympics were over. All of a sudden, the charts showed huge spikes in regions of China. I, I particularly noted uh, Hong Kong. The death rate was like through the roof. If you looked at a chart, there were lines going across the bottom of the chart and a huge spike where Hong Kong was concerned. Now, granted, the Hong Kong numbers were essentially zero up until that spike. So some Chinese data manipulation, I would expect that there. But the spike seems to be matched in other parts of China that we're seeing. Shenzhen uh, City was locked down. 18 million people forced indoors. Then you had uh, five other cities and 37 million other people with uh, more lockdowns forced throughout China. So then Germany is now seeing 250,000 cases in one day. Uh, the United States, according to the CDC, recently saw a 25,000 uh, daily case count. And it's only getting worse, particularly in Europe. Now, what's happening right now is a subvariant of the, of the Omicron variant, uh, BA2. It is 30% more transmissible than the original Omicron variant, which was insanely transmissible to begin with, but it's still not showing the, uh, the serious illness levels that we saw from earlier variants. So you might see a spike in cases. I doubt that we'll get to the point where we reinstitute um, some of those mitigation efforts that actually just expired here in Louisiana because it plays so badly in the polling. The, the Democrats across the country don't want to go back to that. At this point, though, you never can say for sure because we're starting to see the media jump onto this. They had a CDC expert on CNN who was talking about uh, how great masking was and all that. So, so that is out there, but... Uh, that is the most emergent COVID news right now is that we're seeing spikes in countries across the world with a new subvariant, and the media is, of course, panicking over it. 232-1542 if you want to call in and take part in the conversation. Do you remember, for all four years that Trump was in the White House, all we heard is that Trump was an authoritarian, Trump was trying to seize all of the power for himself, he was a threat to democracy, that we needed Congress to uh, stand up to Trump and keep him from doing everything he wanted to do without their help, without their input. Trump was a threat to democracy. He was essentially a dictator. That's what we heard for four years. From Politico, House liberals start asking Biden to sidestep Congress months before the midterms. You have the Progressive Caucus, the Black Caucus, the Asian Caucus, the Hispanic Caucus, all coming to Biden's doorstep and saying, hey, start doing some stuff by executive order because none of this is working in, in Congress. What's happening right now is that you have, in particular, two Democratic senators, but there's actually more, but two that are out there and brave enough to stand up to the Biden administration and say no, and that would be Kirsten Sinema 
and Joe Manchin. They are saying no to Biden's big agenda plans where Build Back Better and environmental uh, legislation comes into play. The House is really irritated by this, even some in-house leadership, but it's really primarily the progressive caucus that are the pot stirrers in this. They are urging the Biden administration to start using executive orders to get the agenda passed. What's happening right now is that Democrats know their majority is going away in November. We know the House is going away. It's going to the Republicans in November. And we have a very good reason to believe that the Senate is going to be the same way. It would be a huge, huge loss for the Democrats to lose both in the first midterm of the first term of the Biden administration. But that's what they're expecting. The Biden administration is already acting like a lame duck administration. They're not getting anything done. Liberal Democrats in the lower chamber in the House are so frustrated by Senate standoffs that they're now imploring Joe Biden to start to pursue as much of his agenda without them as possible. This is being reported in Politico earlier today. The Democrats are essentially saying we've lost. We've lost control. We still have the numbers, but somehow we've lost control. And that is because the supposedly moderate, supposedly unifying Joe Biden is pushing a far left agenda that threatens the unity between the two parties, a non-existent unity that he was promising, but also threatens the seats of several of the more moderate, not exactly moderate, Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema are not moderates, but they are more moderate than the progressives in the House and the Senate. And that far-left agenda threatens their seats of power. You can be a liberal Democrat, but also realize that electability is key. Why do you think 30-something Democrats are deciding to retire rather than run for re-election this year? It's because they know that agenda is something they can't win on if they run again. So there are several open seats that the Democrats are going to have to try to refill. It's a remarkable pitch for a party that controls two branches of government, but they can't get anything done. You have the progressives like Anthony Brown of Maryland who's saying people are realizing that at this point in the cycle, executive order is probably where you're going to start seeing more things get done. Strategically, yes, that's where you're going to see more things getting done. But at the same time, it's also the riskier play because one, that far left agenda can get uh, passed by executive order. And it puts a lot of Democrats having to go on record to defend it or walk away from it in the midterms. It's also something that the Biden administration will have to risk getting undone or reversed when a Republican president comes in, probably in 2024, to undo all that, just as Biden undid everything that Trump did by executive order, just as Trump did when after Obama had done everything by executive order. But they want the president to assume full control of the legislation process. They want him to do it by executive order. They want him to sidestep Congress because they cannot get anything done. 232-1542, that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show on News Talk 96.5 KPL.
Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPEL 232-1542. If you want to call in and chat about the stories of the day, including the fact that the exodus continues from Kamala Harris's office, her deputy press secretary, who's been with her since the start, has now joined the long list of exiting staffers and is taking a role at the Defense Department, according to multiple reports. Uh, it was uh, announced in an internal email sent by Harris Communications Director Jamal Simmons. Singh will be, uh, so it's Sabrina Singh, who is Deputy Press Secretary for the Vice President. She's heading to the Defense Department. She will be replaced by Ernesto Apreza, who currently works in the White House Office of Public Engagement and previously worked for the Biden-Harris campaign in uh, 2020, as well as on uh, Harris's presidential bid in 2019. So this is a growing problem for Kamala Harris. She has been losing staff pretty readily um, over the course of the last year. Since this past summer, uh, Director of Digital Strategies, Rajun Kaur, uh, Director of Advance, uh, Carly Satoyak, Deputy Director of Advance, Gabrielle DeFranceschi, Communications Director, Ashley Etienne, Chief Spokesperson, Simone Sanders, Director of Press Operations, Peter Vells, Director of Public Engagement, Vince Evans, and Speechwriting Director, Kate Childs-Graham. That's everybody who has left Harris's office. Now, you do expect some staff turnover after the first year, but it has been, this was before the first year was up, and it has been insanely high turnover, especially amid reports that Harris does not treat her staff very kindly. Um, Harris, if I mean, you've seen the public appearances. Harris has routinely been unprepared in public events, in public speaking events, has uh, not been very knowledgeable on the subject she's talking about, has made mistakes. She has that nervous cackle when she's not prepared. And what ends up, what, what happens is from reports we've gotten is that she ignores briefings given to her by her staffers. And then she goes out to one of these public events and screws up and then screams at, yells at, gets extremely angry with her staff for not preparing her better. It's everybody else's fault, essentially. So amid all this maltreatment and the fact that she does not run offices very well, multiple reports in the New York Times and elsewhere show from her time as, uh, from her time as a prosecutor in California all the way to now, she maintains a very disorganized, disorderly, and frankly, drama-filled office. And so it's leading to a lot of issues in the management style and a lot of people are just getting out it's a toxic environment 232-1542 if you want to join in we do have a caller on the line renee how are you today i'm okay i think that people finally woke up the woke finally really woke up a little bit but not enough and i want to say that in the cards of history you end up with the same thing but much more players in the past, we had one Karl Marx and one Frederick Engels, and now in the woke industries and tech company, we have many Frederick Engels want to be supporting, many Karl Marx want to be a thousand times over thanks to the 
Cold War and the KGB and their operatives. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. There's a lot of people who want to, I guess they have ignored the fact that none of those systems have worked before. The the ideas that Marx keeps pushing and they just routinely try, they say, oh, we can do it right this time, but it never truly works. a little more money. Yeah. Just a little more money. The most money fuel place in the world. Got to work this time. You know, it's interesting because probably the place that's trying to implement this as much as possible is California. And have you heard what they're trying to do right now? No. They're proposing giving a $400 tax credit to every citizen in California because of rising gas prices. They want to hand every one of their citizens $400 to pay for gas. With ga- the, gas a- the gas price average in California is... If you make more money, you can pay more taxes. Yeah. When I had a good job that made more money, unlike other people, I didn't really care about my taxes. When I have a crappy job that pay little money, then I hate the rich and I'm upset about every penny they tax me. Yeah. If you stimulate the economy and have more money, people won't care about the tax. Or the, what the hell the 1% do on either party? Because the 1% as they get away with tax breaks, they're Democrat favorites and some are Republican favorites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Renee, thank you very much for the call. 232-1542 if you guys want to call in and join in as well. Like I was saying, California is offering a $400 tax credit, or they want to offer a $400 tax credit, or not even te- just to hand out a check. They want us a tax stimulus, or a gas stimulus, I guess, to their citizens, with the gas average being somewhere in the low to mid $5 per gallon range in California, you're looking at maybe 60 or so gallons, a little over 60 gallons in California, depending on where you are, that that check will get you. Which, if you're driving all over California or you're stuck in traffic in California, you can burn through that pretty quickly. But I guess we shall see. They, uh, Despite uh, all the handouts they have and all the, the money troubles that California routinely finds itself in, I guess they have room to give out another $400. And hey... Who cares where that money actually comes from, right? Who cares about inflation? We'll just throw more money out into the economy because that always works. But that is where we are right now. The Democrats, I mean, they want Joe Biden to do the same thing. They want Biden to authorize uh, more COVID payments. Nancy Pelosi is thoroughly upset with several members in her own party who stood against COVID relief in the uh, current funding bill that uh, they're trying to get through, uh, the current government funding bill they're trying to get through Congress right now, uh, that provision actually had to be stripped. And she's furious about that. She wants more money to be thrown out there. She sees more checks going into the hands uh, and bank accounts and wallets of Americans as being something that can save the party or mitigate the damages of her party in November. But things are going to be so bad for the Democrats in November that Nancy Pelosi who was supposed to be retiring, has decided to run for re-election anyway. Um, her staff was already packing up. Like, they were, they were basically ready to get out of Dodge, you know, after this summer because she was supposed to be retiring. They were, you know, sending out their resumes, places, getting ready to move out, and then Nancy Pelosi announced that she's going to run for re-election. Completely through her office, through uh, the House, and through California, for a loop, because that's not what was supposed to happen. Now, some Democrats will appreciate her being there. Nancy Pelosi is still a very good fundraiser for Democrats. She does very good. She does a very good job and always has of raising money for her party. But that's because 
She represents the very rich, very wealthy progressives of California, and they like to throw money at lost causes like the Democratic Party's chances in November of 2022. But she's going to run again. Now, what we don't know is if she's going to try to run for speaker again after the 2022 election, after saying she would not uh, run for leadership position again. We'll see where that goes. But remember, I was just saying earlier, the progressives are trying to push the Biden administration to using executive orders. Go ahead and start using executive orders to pass the agenda. Nancy Pelosi wants to see that. She wants that agenda to be passed. And she's furious that she can't get anything, uh, that she can't get COVID relief passed in her own chamber and furious at the inability of Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema to set aside their pride and, and let some of Biden's agenda get passed. But at the same time, she knows it's a sign of weakness if the Biden administration has to rely on executive orders this early on. I mean, we're talking before the midterms even happen, there are Democrat groups wanting the Biden administration to go ahead and go with executive order versus legislation. If you keep trying to run it through legislation, you can maybe score some sympathy points with your base by saying, well, we're trying to do all this stuff and the Republicans are blocking it. But when you can't even get it through because of your own uh, your own members and the Biden administration just starts doing it by executive order. Well, now you have to say, well, do you support these policies passed by the Biden administration via executive order? Do you support them bypassing you? And should, the Democrats will have to, to answer these questions. And they're tough questions for a party that's looking to lose power. 232-1542. We're going to go ahead and take another break. And when we come back, Chris Cuomo is making some more noise. We'll have to talk about that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL 232-1542. If you want to join in the conversation, if you don't want to call in but you want to reach out, you can find me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham. Check out the Facebook page, uh, Joe Cunningham Show, uh, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show. You can also reach out. Joe at redstate.com is the email address if you'd like to comment on anything I've said during the show today. Uh, Chris Cuomo, uh, the disgraced former host at CNN, is now uh, filing a $125 million arbitration demand from CNN. $15 million in owed pay, he says, and $110 million over damages to his reputation. He claims that CNN did not stop the likes of Don Lemon, Jake Tapper, and Brian Stelter from conducting a smear campaign to discredit him in the wake of his firing. Uh, this, in a memo obtained by Mediaite and reported at Mediaite uh, uh, Deadline, Fox News, and elsewhere, in Cuomo's, uh, in Cuomo's filing, which was obtained by Mediaite and first reported by Deadline, his lawyers argue CNN had full knowledge of his dealings with the governor. CNN Zucker and Allison Gallist were fully aware of the scope of Cuomo's assistance to Governor Cuomo and, in fact, participated in and encouraged the same behavior. This would be the behavior he was fired for in terms of advising his brother and even using his media sources to try to find out who the women who were leveling the sexual harassment, sexual assault allegations against Andrew Cuomo were. Andrew Cuomo, by the way, is putting out feelers, holding internal polls and things like that, testing the waters 
for a possible comeback in New York. He wants back into office. The new filing also claims Cuomo was fired in part due to an anonymous allegation of sexual misconduct said to have occurred before his time at CNN. This would be a, a producer at uh, an, an unknown producer or an unnamed producer at ABC when he was over there and accuses the network of not even attempting to investigate the veracity of the anonymous allegations in the filing itself, though, an additional and similarly significant legally unjustifiable breach of the agreement was the complete failure by Zucker to abide by the terms of the agreement by failing to instruct CNN employees not to disparage Cuomo. The agreement requires that CNN, quote, make reasonable efforts to instruct its employees not to make any intentionally disparaging comments regarding Cuomo in the context of Cuomo's business and professional activities. Jake Tapper, a CNN anchor, publicly assailed Cuomo's ethics as a journalist and falsely claimed that Cuomo threatened Zucker. Don Lemon, another CNN anchor, falsely claimed that Cuomo had been, quote, found to break with those journalistic standards and then was paid handsomely for it. Brian Stelter, CNN's chief media correspondent, said Cuomo was, quote, acting like an unpaid staffer for Governor Cuomo and had been trying to burn the place down after CNN terminated him. Countless anonymous CNN staffers slammed Cuomo in the press, calling him both journalistically and morally immoral. Morally immoral. Okay. Saying his biggest crime was that he lied to Zucker and labeling him toxic and distracting. Those look like words I wrote, actually. Maybe, maybe Cuomo's, uh, maybe his lawyers are reading Red State and thinking that's CNN by mistake. I don't know, because I'm pretty sure I wrote some, many of the same things at Red State. By the way, redstate.com, you can find where I've actually written about this uh, and other things I've written just by going there and checking out all the great writings at Red State. A lot of good writers. I need to get some of them on the show, actually. But anyway, Cuomo was fired. Okay, he was fired from CNN after several journalism scandals ranging from his clear conflict of interest when he interviewed his brother, then Governor Andrew Cuomo, in some very fluff interviews, all while Andrew Cuomo was trying to cover up the fact that he killed thousands of elderly by forcing nursing homes to take COVID patients. He then, with the help of uh, then President Jeff Zucker and uh, Executive Allison Gollist got Cuomo back on for repeated interviews. And then when the allegations of sexual misconduct came up against Cuomo, he then advised his brother without telling CNN he was doing so, allegedly. Now this filing again says that he told Zucker and that Zucker and Gollist actually helped him in terms of advising his brother. Gallist, by the way, you should know, used to work for Andrew Cuomo. That's what makes all this even sketchier. The younger Cuomo apparently misrepresented his involvement with his brother to his CNN higher-ups, although that's being called into question by Cuomo himself. But the real, the big thing, the thing that ultimately got him fired were the revelations that Cuomo was using his news sources, his media contacts, to try to find out who the women leveling allegations of misconduct against Andrew Cuomo were in an attempt to possibly add pressure to it, all in the sake of journalism and reporting. And it was a big black eye on journalism. So Andrew, so Chris Cuomo says that CNN knew all this and he wants his money. 
And he's mad at Jake Tapper and Brian Stelter and Don Lemon for daring to disparage his good name in the press, even though his good name was already tarnished. You know who else had their good name tarnished, but they deserve an apology? The New York Post. They first published an article in October of 2020 saying that Hunter Biden's laptop ended up at a computer repair shop and there was some very interesting information on there. The documents on there suggested that uh, Hunter Biden was influence peddling, trying to use his father's name and candidacy and eventual presidency to get some cush gigs. And that article was banned from social media. You could not share. You could you could try to post that in a tweet on Twitter and Twitter's system locked you down. You were not able to share that article. The New York Post Twitter account was suspended. Facebook blocked the sharing of that article. It was all labeled misinformation. A group of 21 former intelligence officials, most of whom prominently go on news networks as Democrats, all said it was a classic Russian psyop. This was Russian misinformation meant to sow discord and help uh, Donald Trump in his reelection bid. The New York Times yesterday dropped a story that confirms not only the existence of the laptop, but that the documents on there were true. You know how they know? Because there's a federal investigation. When the story first dropped by the New York Post, every Democrat and every media institution said, nope, this is misinformation. We're not touching it. And the New York Post was slammed by the New York Times and other places throughout the media for running the story. And it turns out to be true. The New York Times is saying, oh, well, we, we've investigated people close to it. Yeah, the New York Post verified it. And then the Daily Caller did a deep analysis of the documents and found out that it was all, it was all legit. But no, no, no. No, no, no. Those are right-leaning Organization. Well, they say the New York the New York Post is right leaning. They're they're pretty middle of the road. But no, no, no. Conservatives latched onto it. This is misinformation. The Russians are getting involved again to help Trump. That's what they were claiming. Biden, though, the Biden campaign never really forcefully pushed back. After other sources started saying it was Russian misinformation, Biden, you know, said that. Um, they he agreed with it. Jen Psaki, who was working with the Biden administration at the time, said that. But the Biden administration never forcefully pushed back. They never said it was a lie. They just said that it was part of a Russian psyop. You know who didn't say anything about it throughout, this, throughout the whole ordeal? The Trump administration. The Department of Justice said nothing about it. Because there was a federal investigation underway against Hunter Biden and his influence peddling. And that was confirmed by Bill Barr after the election when he said, yeah, we didn't want to influence the election. We, this investigation has been underway. That's what's going on right now. Hunter Biden is being investigated for influence peddling and for tax problems and other legal issues. 232-1542. We're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, Senator Kennedy, his sound bites are back in the news. What did he say to Hannity last night? That and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. You know, John Kennedy is beloved by a lot of my friends in Washington, D.C., a lot of my, my media friends and, and acquaintances in D.C., because he is just so good 
with sound bites. They love it. I I jokingly refer to him as Captain Soundbite because he is so good at just the things that he says. Um in talking to Hannity last night, he said that Biden has gotten it right once in a row with sanctions against Russia, which is a fantastic line, and that Biden's response to the invasion of Ukraine has been a wimp fest. Uh, he Just a lot of great lines from this interview. Uh, first, I think it's clear that the leader of the free world is President Zelensky. He added that the Ukrainian people are tough as a boot. And the rest of Biden's economic response to the invasion and the military response to the invasion, in my judgment, has been a wimp fest. And he's right. The Biden administration's response to all of this, response to Russia in general, has been very, very wimpy. It's been, uh, it's been just bizarre how the guy who, who said that Trump was in Putin's pocket and that he would be the one to go toe-to-toe with Putin has been largely absent from any sort of toughness on Putin to the point where he's letting the Russians negotiate the new Iran deal. Trump's sanctions on Iran were blocking Russians from getting money out of any deal. But now the Biden administration is actually actively letting the Russians run the negotiations to the point where Russian energy company Rosatom is getting a guaranteed $10 billion. Why or how? By building nuclear power plants in Iran. They are letting the Russians build nuclear power plants in Iran. The Biden administration is continuing to flirt with the Russian block of influence around the world. They wanted to get Venezuelan oil. They backed off of that because of blowback from his, within his own party. They're still seeking an Iran deal, and they're letting Russia negotiate that. Now, Iran and Venezuela are both deeply tied to Russia. Russia is getting money out of this, despite the fact that Biden is claiming he's being tough on Russia with the sanctions. He's giving them a lifeline with this deal. They are going to be getting money out of it. It's absolutely insane. The U.S. is telling Russians that they can get out of the sanctions. They can get a workaround on the sanctions by working with Iran so long as they get Iran to sign on nearly every dotted line. The Russians are bragging about how well the Iranians are coming out in this deal. They are just getting all sorts of perks out of this. And the, the, the worst of the worst in Iran, the worst of the worst in Russia effectively get to evade any sanctions with this deal. And do you really think that Iran is going to stop developing its nuclear program? No, it's not. This deal is not going to do anything. But Biden, I, I, I'm telling you, it is out more than anything of pettiness. Forget the strategic value of any sort of partnership with Iran that you can try to conjure up. The Biden administration sees everything that Donald Trump did and they want to reverse it. Donald Trump pulled out of the Iran deal. They want to reverse that. Donald Trump was trying to make nice with Saudi Arabia and Turkey and the United Arab Emirates. And they 
uh, initialized the Abraham Accords, which got Middle Eastern recognition of Israel as a counter to Iran. And they're trying to under, they're ignoring our allies in the Middle East. They're ignoring our friends. They're ignoring India, who we were trying to get closer to. All because Trump did it. Anything Trump did had to be bad. It is pettiness more than anything else. And it is bad policy. We should be fully energy independent. We should be more forceful on Russia right now. We should be doing a lot more on the world stage because you are letting China and you are letting Russia expand their influence while you withdraw American influence from the global stage. And yes, it is great that Europe came together and is backing Ukraine and doing everything they can without going right without going into a straight up war with Russia. But the US should be in a leadership position. The US is the one with the military force to push back against Russia and push back against China. And right now, Russia and China are on the outs, but that will not be for long as the U.S. continues to withdraw from the world stage. Those two will link up, they will expand their influence, and they will push out Western influence from every corner of the world that they can. All because the Biden administration is awful at foreign policy and wants to undo everything that Trump did. And I've told y'all before, I'm not a fan of everything Trump did, but what his administration got done on foreign policy is really, frankly, incredibly effective. And it should be praised, and it should be recognized, and it should be built off of. But the Biden administration will not give any sort of credit to the Trump administration, will not build on any of those successes. It is insane. Now, here at home, you know what else is insane? The fact that Joe Biden is still pushing for getting rid of our energy production in the U.S. I told y'all yesterday, the Democrats, the, the Progressive Caucus in the House, they are pushing the Biden administration to launch an, uh, an initiative to get rid of drilling in the U.S., get rid of all oil drilling in the U.S., Get rid of it all. Despite the fact that the Biden administration has been bragging about, oh, well, we have all these places that, are, that the oil companies are, are perfectly welcome to come in and drill. They're really not. And the regulations make it tough to. But the progressives are like, no, let's, let's stop that. Let, let's get rid of all these oil drilling opportunities in the U.S. And the Biden administration is considering it. Biden wants to push this environmental agenda and it's going to continue hurting the U.S., they don't want us to be energy independent. They want us to be dependent on others while claiming we cut ours down. We're doing what, we're, what we should for the environment. We cut our energy production down. It is the biggest national security risk to the U.S. right now, making us dependent on others. Wanting to make us dependent on Russia, on Venezuela, on Iran. That is a huge national security risk. It is a huge economic risk for the U.S., but the Democrats and Joe Biden want to keep pushing for it. And that'll do it for me today, 23 hours until I'm back with you again. As always, be sure to check me out on social media and tune in to the podcast version of the show by going to your favorite podcast plat platforms, Apple, Spotify, wherever. 
seeing good numbers there. Y'all continue listening, and we'll be back tomorrow here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL.